need a handout for the sermon. If you need a handout, we'll give that to you. I think everyone's good to go. John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1 as we continue in our series here about not limiting Christmas to Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, but going through the entire scripture and seeing Christmas. Because really, if you want to understand what Jesus' coming is all about, you got to look back to creation as we looked at a couple weeks ago. Now, Jesus is the creator of all things, and he was there in the beginning with God, and he was God, and he created all things. We looked at also a couple weeks ago the fall of man. We talked about it for a little bit of time, and that's what messed everything up. Everything God made was perfect. There was no mistakes, nothing. Everything was great. Animals got together fine and got along. People got together and were fine with each other. Um, there were no weeds. I don't think you ever had to mow your lawn. It was always the perfect height. It was watered perfectly. Everything was perfect. And then they ate the fruit, and everything changed from that day on. We looked at last week that God made a covenant with Noah. And he said, I'll never flood the earth again. Did some of you, the other day, did you see that rainbow across the sky? And it covered the entire sky. And I was just thinking, man, what an awesome God. He is so good to us. And he made a covenant with Noah so many hundreds of thousands of years ago. And he's fulfilled that to this day. And I know there are many out there in this world that like to take God's promise and use it for what that is. Isn't it amazing that God, think about this just for a second. And I'm not going to stay on this long this morning. But God makes a covenant and his sign of it is the rainbow that he'll never flood the earth again because of the wickedness of man. And then man in his wickedness takes that very sign and flaunts it back in God's face. Have you ever thought about it that way? that's literally what mankind does mankind likes to take their sin and flaunt it right back in god's face and said you said you'd never do that so here you go we'll live and do what we want to do but i've read the back of the book and the lord still wins it's all said and done so it will all be the way but this the other thing i'm not going to let someone steal that sign that's god's sign and don't forget that and i'd be a little careful if you go wear go around wearing a rainbow on your t-shirt and things but we won't you know, just because, anyways, we'll leave that all alone this morning. But he made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham that his seed would last forever and that he'd make a great nation out of him. We saw how God made a covenant with the children of Israel when they left Egypt. And the children of Israel broke their covenant with God over and over and over again. But the covenant wasn't based on God and man both doing their part. It was based on God and him alone. We saw how God made a covenant with David that his kingdom would last forever. And then you look at the kings that followed David, and Solomon had a good, strong start. Then you see how things quickly went downhill. And anytime men do things, it's always going to go downhill. That's just how it works because we're not perfect. But through that line, God raised up his son, Jesus Christ. Today's verse, we all know this verse. It's a verse we look at oftentimes. But this verse is so meaningful, so powerful. The other day, I was, it was Wednesday afternoon, I was going on my afternoon run, my five-mile run. 
and I just couldn't get this verse out of my mind. And in the middle of my run, I started crying. I don't cry often, but when I, I was crying when I'm running, I don't know if, what people thought. If people see me sometimes when I'm running, I listen to a good song about the Lord, and I'm like singing it out. They probably, you know, you can hear the dogs in the neighborhood all howling when I do that. And then, or I'm thinking about the Lord on this, because I'll listen to the Bible, I'll listen to preaching, I listen to all sorts of things during that time. And sometimes I'll have my eyes closed thinking about something about the Lord, and then I trip on something and end up on the ground, and you see all these neighbors out there laughing because they see this, this guy fall on the ground, and then I just, you know, what hurts the most when you fall? Are you ready? My pride. It's always my pride. And, uh, and, and my hip this last time, but we'll leave that one there. It's, the older you get, you got to quit falling, things like that. But um, it's like, don't forget that. So I, uh, then why, and then if some of you older folks know that, then why do you still fall? You don't need to do that. You need to spare yourself. No more tripping, you know. Don't do, I'm, I, I, I'm joking, I'm joking when I say that this morning, I get it, that's, that's my mom and dad, my mom the other day, I was teasing her a little bit about something, and there's something around that thing, and she said something just like Gary, just around the same thing, you'll understand it someday, I know, I know, but as I just took some time and just thought on this verse, to think that God became flesh, the one who spoke this world into existence. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who breathed life into man, and man became a living soul. That God put on flesh. He tells us in the Old Testament not to make any graven images of him, Because you cannot contain God to anything. He's that big. He's that powerful. And yet, the Word became flesh. And not only did He become flesh, He dwelt among us. John chapter 1, I want you to see that verse. And by the time we're done this morning, I hope that you might see this verse a little differently than you've ever seen it before. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. We're going to talk about that glory from the Old Testament just a little bit this morning. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, many people will look at God becoming flesh and look at what we celebrate this time of year. Like, how do we know that that's true? How, maybe it's just a fa- it's fake news. It's not real. If someone lives 2,000 years ago, And everybody in the society, a lot of people in that society, wanted to wipe him out to where no one would ever talk about that name again. And people still don't like that name today. There's something real about it. I love what Luke penned in Luke chapter number 1. I want you to see these verses this morning before we start our message. And look at what it says here. It says, for as much... As many have taken in hand 
to set forth in order a declaration of those which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning, look at this, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having a perf had perfect understanding of all things that were very first, to write thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a priest named Zacharias, and of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. You go back one slide for me. It says, why did Luke write this book? That thou, and the, who's Theophilus? Some believe that could have been a person, but the name Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God. I believe it was written to all those who love the Lord. That thou mightest know the certainty of those things. Hey, not only did I hear about it, but those who were eyewitnesses of what took place, I wrote those things down. And this morning, you can rest assured that if God's word says something, God means what he says. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I love the fact that thou mightest know the certainty of those things. Thank God for his book. And then we have his book this morning. And as we look this morning, and you know, you could look even further at things. Caesar Augustus did rule. There was a governor in, uh, what was his name? And I, Cyrenius, governor of Syria. He really was a ruler. These people really lived. This is not a made-up story. These are facts that took place. This is the word of God. It is true this morning. And as we approach today and we look at John 1.14, we're going to camp in that verse today. We're going to break it down just a little bit this morning and deal with three main points, and that's all the message will be today. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I hope that as we look today at the message that you'll be able to take the truths from today and maybe look at John 1.14 in light differently than you've ever looked at it before. Father, we need you this morning. I thank you so much for the fact that you sent your son. That God put flesh on. And that you dwelt with us. Thank you. May we take the passage today. May we look at it and may it change us. May we look at it and be a little bit more grateful. May we look at it. And by the time the message is done this morning, my prayer is never that anyone would look and say, wow, pastor preached a good message. I'd love for your people's reply this morning to be, wow, what a God. What a God. We love you. We need you. Meet with us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, as we dive in this morning, we look at the reality of Christ's coming. Now, as I mentioned, all of this 
We're talking about Christmas. We started a few weeks ago. We started at creation. We saw the fall of man. We saw the covenants of God. And today we look at the incarnation and the reality of Christ's coming. And while the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark give us details surrounding the birth of Christ, John provides us with a backstory that the other books don't. And that's where the Gospels, they portray Christ in four different lights, which I love. You get to see different Jesus' different things. In the book of Matthew, he is represented as the King of Kings. In the book of Mark, he's represented as a servant. That's why in the book of Mark, there is no birth record. Because servants, no one cares about when a servant was born. That's why it's not there. To be king of the Jews, you have to have your way to the throne. That's why Matthew chapter number 1 is so important. The book of Luke portrays Jesus as the son of man. And through there, he, a, a man is born, right? And that's why we see how Jesus came. And then the book of John portrays Christ as the son of God. And that's why it starts out in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, because God has never had a beginning. There's no birth mentioned in the book of John, because God always has been, He always will be. But as we look, let's look at this verse one more time, and dive in. John 1, 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The beginning of that tells us, the Word was made flesh. This is the simple, most unique part of Christianity that separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the map. The miracle of Christmas is the fact that the infinite became an infant. That the Word, that God Himself became flesh. The whole realm of Christianity rests on this truth. That Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man at the same time. I think one theologian described it this way. He said, God must be able to come over to our side without leaving his own side. Think about one of the astronauts that landed on the moon, James Irwin. He said this about Christmas. There's something more important than a man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. You notice the scripture tells us here, and the word was made flesh. The next phrase we see is, and dwelt among us. To dwell means to pitch one's tent. More specifically, to settle, to stay, to inhabit. The word, not only did Jesus become flesh, he dwelt among us. He came to earth. He the word dwelt is where the word tabernacle comes from. I think that's what really got my heart, my heart stirred this week. Some of you, um, I've got like five different Bible reading plans I'm doing with different people in the church. So I get lost on which one I'm doing with who. But those of us who are in the book of Exodus right now, we're literally, we just went through, literally I was going through the tabernacle that day as I'm thinking about this verse for today. And think about all the things that were in place and how the priest had to be so careful to even go into the tabernacle. He had to have bells on and things so you'd know if he was even alive. And all these, all these things had to be prepared in the, for the priest to even enter in. He couldn't just walk in to the Holy of Holies and just be there with God. I mean, it talks about the fact he had to have blood on his thumb, 
on his big toe. There's lots, and he had all the that had to take place before he could even go in. And he needed those bells on, so if something, if he went in on, and he could never go in worthy enough, but if he went in and didn't do the steps that God said, he'd be struck dead on the spot. And if you didn't hear the bells, you would drag him out because you wouldn't go in there because you would die from being that close to the glory of God. Think on that this morning. The Bible tells us here that he dwelt among us. We think of the tabernacle. We think of the ten of meetings where God met with Israel in the Old Testament. We think of that word tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable worship center where God dwelt with his people, but God's people dwelt on the outside. They didn't go in. Get this this morning. In the tabernacle, the average person did not go in. There were very few limited people that could even get inside and even fewer that could get to the glory spot, the Holy of Holies. The Bible tells us in the book of Exodus, chapter number 40, when the tabernacle was complete, in verse 34 and 35, it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter into the tabernacle when God's glory entered into this place. He could not enter in. And in fact, this is what closes out the book of Exodus. And before you could ever go in, the book of Leviticus was so important. Because all of the sacrifices and all the things that had to take place, because you'll notice you go from the end of Exodus to Numbers chapter number 1, he goes in. What separated the two? The way you had to go to get in. And all the steps and the processes and all the sacrifices that had to be made. But we see that God's glory filled the tabernacle and that man could not enter in because of God's glory. When we think about God's glory, it's kind of hard to define. It literally means where it says here, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, it literally means heavy in weight, important, significant, having great reputation and splendor, brightness and majesty, worthiness and honor. It has to do with who God is. God's glory referred to his presence with his people and God there. But you notice... No one could go in there when the glory filled the tabernacle. We fast forward through the history of Israel. Remember David last week when we looked how God said, I'm going to establish a kingdom with you forever. What did David want to do right before that? He wanted to build a house for God. He's like, I've seen, look at my house and look what I have. And there's no house for God. He's got this portable space that goes from here and there and so what happens is we see that Solomon builds the temple when we think about the temple the Bible tells us and you think about this when it was finished first Kings chapter 6 verse number 13 
God said this, and I will dwell. Oh, do you see that word dwell again? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and I will dwell among the people of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. We read chapter number 8 of 1 Kings, verse 10 and 11, and it says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud, remember how we talked about the cloud with Moses? So the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. We see once again the fact when the tabernacle in the Old Testament there and in the wilderness with them, when God's glory filled it, Moses could not enter in. We see that when Solomon gets the temple built and separates and, se and s gives it to the Lord, that the Lord moves into it and the priest could not stand near because of the glory of God. Because when you get near the glory of God and you are a sinful man the way that you and I are, you cannot stand before a righteous and a holy God. Jewish rabbis coined the expression the Shekinah glory. It's a form of a Hebrew word that literally means he caused to dwell. For many years, God met his people and they knew his glory from the tabernacle. Years later, the temple was built and God's glory rested in the temple. The glory of God filled the temple for 350 years about that time. But the children of Israel over and over and over in that 350 years kept rebelling and sinning against God. God raised up the Babylonians. If you remember the story, the Babylonians come in, they wipe out Jerusalem, and they destroy the temple. And destroying the temple... They take the things that were in there. There's lots of things that take place. But what happens is God's glory slowly departs over time from Israel. You see, first, God's glory left the Holy of Holies. And then it w hovers over the threshold of the door on the east gate. And then the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 11.23... And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. So listen up. Israel's in the wilderness with God. They set up the tabernacle. God's glory, God's presence was with the people, but they could not get too close, but God was with them. Years later, they get into their promised land. They set up their kingdom, and they get going. And David wants to build a house for God, and Solomon builds it, and God's glory rests in the temple. Israel gets away from God, and their rebellion, they stay away from God, and eventually the temple's destroyed. The glory of God leaves the Holy of Holies. It's at the... The thresh, the threshing spot. But eventually, God's glory leaves Jerusalem and God's people completely and goes up to a mountain. Do you see that? 
That's why you have in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse number 1, you hear this cry, this lament for the glory of God to come back. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Israel took advantage of the fact that they had God's presence for a long time. And then God's presence was taken. But they wanted that back. They had the tabernacle and God's presence. They had the temple. And God's presence left. We've been celebrating, and as we look at in this series, we've been looking at how the Old Testament and New Testament linked together the story of Christmas. Last week we saw how the covenants tie into Christmas. And as we look this morning, we see how the tabernacle and the temple, what they mean to Christmas. For four centuries, 400 years, God goes silent from his people. From the last words, and you say, think about that, 400 years. It's a long time. America hasn't been around 400 years. You put into perspective and think about that. 400 years, the heavens are silent. 400 years, the glory of God is nowhere to be found with his people. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 2, in verse number 9, look at this. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Now look with me. Look at this verse. We break these down. We all know the Christmas story. We think on it. But I want you to think, think, think today. Look at what it says. And the glory, had they seen the glory in a long time? No, the glory of God had left. God's glory had departed from Israel. And, where, and who, is, who are the angels talking to here? Some shepherds. The glory of God. So look at this. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord that had been gone for 400 years, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And, of course, they were sore afraid because you get around the glory of God and you read about what happened to those who got a little too close when they shouldn't. Remember this? They touched the ark and what happened? And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And the Bible says in verse 14 that all the angels cry out, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good toward men. Four hundred years. The children of Israel, as they wandered there in the wilderness, they had the tabernacle, and the glory of God filled that place, and no one could get near it. 
the temple is established, and Israel had the temple, and God's glory filled the temple, but the priests couldn't even be in there with the glory of God as it filled it. 350 years they go with God, and God's presence is there, and because of their rebellion, because of all that takes place, God eventually punishes them with Babylon, and the glory of God departs from the temple and leaves. For 400 years, there is no open vision. God is not openly doing, he's, he's still working behind the scenes, don't get me wrong this morning. But there is no open glory of God. And one day, to a group of shepherds, the outcasts, those that are tending their sheep, the angel comes and the glory of God showed up again. That's what Christmas is all about. I think about that song, Silent Night, in the second verse, Silent Night, Holy Night. Shepherds quake at the sight. Glory streams from heaven afar. And heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. With that as the background that I just gave you, I want you to look at John 1.14 again. And the word was made flesh. And we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father when we look at this and we think about this are you ready this might make a baptist want to shout here in a second in a similar way that god dwelt with his people in the tabernacle and in the temple he now dwells with his people through his son jesus christ in him jesus christ the glory of god has descended again and he pitched his tent to dwell with us god's good news comes from our bad news centuries of waiting 400 years the glory of god came again get this old testament god's glory was tied to a place in the old testament you look and you think of god's glory it was tied to the tabernacle it was tied to the temple right get this today his glory is wrapped up in a person called jesus christ and when you put your faith and trust in jesus christ his glory comes and moves inside of you think about that that's why the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 21, Know ye not that your body, look at this, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Man, we look at the Old Testament and that God's glory filled the tabernacle, filled the temple. Jesus comes and he brings the glory back, but there's no building for the glory to reside in anymore. God instead takes, and when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves in and you become the temple of the Holy Ghost. He's no longer untouchable. It's no longer that you got to go to the tabernacle and wash up just right, and the priest has to go in at this set time. It's no longer in the tabernacle where only a few people could ever get there, but you can come to God 
through Jesus Christ, and through that, you can be saved, and you can have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, and you can become the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what Christmas is all about. I'm going to lose my voice before next service, and i got one more to go. That's the reality of Christmas. That's what it's all about. That for centuries and for years, they had the glory of God, but they got away from God, and God's glory departed. And Jesus comes with the glory of God, and he gives and bestows it to anyone who puts their faith in him. You see, that's why Jesus told the woman at the well, you don't have to go to some mountain or go to some place to worship God. He's a spirit. You can worship him in spirit and in truth anywhere because he's with you. He's not on the outside of the camp for you to see. He's not in some building waiting for you. He's not just here today. He's with you everywhere you go because he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you that you are his own. That's what Christmas is all about. Which answers the and as we we see number one this morning. Wow, that's only number. Whew. Wow, my watch even changed pictures. I must have been swinging my arm a little bit. Number one, we see the reality of his coming. Number two, we see the relevance of his coming. Relevance of his coming. You see, the reality of Christmas is the fact that he came, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But number two, we look at the relevance of his coming. We look at the rest of verse 14. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. Look at the last few words. Full of grace and truth. The word full means abounding or complete. Grace refers to a favor done without expectation of return. And truth has the idea of factual, pure, sincere, and without error. Grace and truth are two concepts that don't often appear together. As humans, the problem we have is we normally err on one side or the other. You want balanced Christianity. I had, <laughs> I had someone the other day, a pastor I don't know very well, but he was, uh, he was, I don't know if he was listening to a few of my sermons. He probably didn't listen to a sermon. Pastors don't listen to other pastors' sermons, but... Well, I do, but a lot of them don't. And if he would have listened to my sermons, he wouldn't have asked me this question. But he's, he's, a, he's a strong, independent Baptist. So the question he asked me when we went to lunch is, are you a rebel? Are you a rebel? I'm like, I take offense to that question. No, I didn't say that. Am I a rebel? I said, I'll try to explain it for you. I explain it to you this morning. For many years as a pastor, my first several years of pastoring, I was very hard on truth and very limited on the scope of grace. Because I didn't want to go down the road of being all grace, because it's the problem. This is what we run into as human beings. We're either all truth, and then there's not grace for God's people. Or we're on the side of God's grace, and there's no truth mixed in. That's where we have a problem. That's where churches have problems today. And so I explained, very nice, and I said, I'm not a rebel. I just want to be like Jesus. Because he was full of grace and truth. 
I don't want to be all truth with no grace because that's not how my Jesus is. I don't want to be all grace with no truth. There are enough churches that are that way. I want to be full of grace and truth. And I said, I've not figured it all out, and I'm not ever claiming to. But if someone wants to be over here all truth, I will be their friend, and I'll reach out to them. I'll still be their friend. Someone that's all grace, I'll be their friend. But that's not me over here, and that's not me right here. If you want to call that a rebel, you can call it a rebel all day long if you want. I'm not a rebel. I want to be more like Jesus. And I want to be, and sometimes we look, and that's hard, because, but Jesus was balanced. He was full of grace and truth. As we look at this here and as we tie things together and come get ready to end the message in a few minutes, Jesus always had both. And sometimes if we stress grace, we can be too quick to cut someone slack. But then if we pull the truth trigger too quickly, we can wipe someone out because we don't have the grace that we should for that. Grace without truth is a problem, so is truth without grace. Both. He has the truth. Think about this. He tells the truth about your situation and your sin. And then his grace causes him to stick with you all the way. Like how someone said this way, God loves you just the way that you are. That's grace. But he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. That's truth. That's what we're reminded of at Christmas. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The manger is filled with the glory and the presence of God, but it's also found with this truth. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And look at this verse. And come short of the glory of God. See the glory of God mentioned once again? You see the grace of God was that God sent his glory to a bunch of shepherds. And to a world that didn't want him, that was grace. And if he was all grace, it would have ended there. But he's all truth. And the truth of the matter is, all have sinned. And each and every one of us that's ever lived in this world besides Jesus Christ have fallen short of God's glory. The reality of Christmas, and as we look at this, we think about the reality of Christ's coming. We think about the relevance of his coming, which leads thirdly to the reaction or the response, our response to his coming. If you notice here in John 1, we see three responses. First one, first response we see is you may not recognize him. And unfortunately, even after all that Jesus did to dwell among us, look at what verse number 10 tells us. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. The great divide in humanity today is not what our world tells us is the great divide in humanity today. The great divide is that the majority or lots of people have never recognized Jesus for who he truly is. And they've never come to him to be forgiven of their sins. He came. The reality of it. His glory came. And his glory can fill you today. We see the realities of it. We see he was full of grace and truth and gave us the truth and he gave us his grace altogether. 
But we see the response. Number one is you may not recognize him. And there are many people today who don't recognize him as Christ. Number two, you might reject him. There are those who don't recognize him, but then there are those who reject him. And while some are apathetic and ignore the Christ of Christmas, others outright reject him. Verse 11 tells us he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to the people who should have known him best, but they wanted nothing to do with him. You see, what is your response to Christ? Is it not recognizing him? Is it rejecting him? The third response you could have is this. You must receive him. And while it is true today that the world didn't recognize him and his own people rejected him, there have always been some who've received him. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You notice there are three key words that we see right here. Receive. The word receive, it means to take or to seize. Have you taken hold of Christ today? The second key word in verse number 12 there is the word believe. To believe means to engage your total being so that you put your trust completely in Christ as an act of the will. You look at what that verse says. It says, but as many as receive him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The key words receive, believe, so that you might, number three, become. The moment you receive and believe, you become a child of God. From the moment you receive and believe, the glory of God comes to live inside of you in, his, in the spirit of Believe, receive, become. we look at our text today, could you put John 1.14 one more time up on the screen for us today? It's a verse we all know well. But I hope that after the message this morning, you'll never look at it the same. The Word was made flesh. God put on skin and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. And Israel had the glory of God for so long and the glory finally departed. But the glory of the Lord shone round about those shepherds that day. And when you receive and believe, you become a child of God. And you become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you know what's so neat about that as we close this morning? The tabernacle, the temple, eventually God's presence left the tabernacle and the temple. But the book of Hebrews reminds us of the fact that he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. 
because of the fact of what Jesus did on the cross and because the word became flesh and dwelt among us, his spirit will never leave. You don't have to worry about his, the glory leaving because the glory's there. That's what Christmas is all about, that he came. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus.